Thanks for tuning in to the Velocity Podcast. We love to hear about life change in our church. So if you have a story about how God has used Velocity to make a difference in your life, send an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. But today we're going to learn, continue to learn, how to be in the Christmas spirit by going back to the Christmas story that we looked at last week in Matthew chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And if you don't have your Bible, we'll put the words on the screen so you can follow along. This giant Bible behind me, a sky Bible. You could call it a skybel if you want. Um, don't call it that. That's probably sacrilegious. But we'll put the words on there so you can follow along all the same. And in Matthew chapter 2, verse 7, is where we'll begin. It says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshiped him. And they opened their treasure and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Which, by the way, makes every gift you've ever given look pitiful. How many of you know, if you're doing Secret Santa, you want the Magi to draw your name? I mean, they are given gifts of gold. Come on, somebody. So, uh, last week we learned about the invitation, but I want to use this verse today to talk to you about the investment. The investment. That's the title of this message. And it's always my custom, if you're new here, it's my custom to pray before we get into the preaching of God's word. So I would just invite you to bow your head with me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that every time we open up your word, you speak. And Lord, I ask that you would do that again. Use me. Let it be a rhema word that goes forth. Speak into people's hearts. You know what they're facing, what they're dealing with, what their issues are. God, you know what they're going to go into. Let this be a word of comfort and challenge, encouragement, and hope. Only you, God, can take one message and speak all those things. So, God, I'm asking that you do it, and everybody who agrees with that can say, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, since Christmas is the season of sharing, I want to ask you to turn to the person next to you and just share with them the best Christmas gift that you have ever received. Will you do that? Just take 30 seconds, 15 seconds each. Just share with them. The best Christmas gift that you have ever received. All right, you get it done. You're wrapping up. I said the best. I didn't say sit on Santa's lap and give him your whole list. I just mean the best. I don't know what the best uh, Christmas gift I've ever received. I was thinking about it. Um, Probably one of them was a Super Nintendo. My parents got me a Super Nintendo. That was awesome. The reason it was great is because before that, you had the regular Nintendo, the NES. And if you don't know about the NES, like you used to have to blow on the games to get them to work. So the Super Nintendo was awesome because you could just put the games in and it would work right away. Like, I had passed out trying to play The Legend of Zelda one time. 
So the Super Nintendo, man, that was great. But I don't know if that was the best one. Um, I'm not sure what the best gift was. I do know what one of the worst gifts was. I'm not going to share it with you because people listen to these messages online, and I don't want uh, I don't want to get in trouble. They might, you know, watch them and something like that and come back to haunt me. But I will tell you what I did with the gift. And I, I just mean, like, some people are good gift givers. You know, like, some people are really good. How many of you are good gift givers? Anybody good gift giver? I'm a really good re-gift giver, okay? <laughs> I'm an excellent re-gift. Is anybody, have you ever re-gifted something before? Let me just see where we're at. Yeah, you're my people. I'm not making this up. One of the best gifts I ever gave my mother-in-law was a re-gift. She still doesn't even know to this day. It's a re-gift. And I'm just, I got a pure heart in it because, um, like, I just don't want it to go to waste. You know, you give me something, I can't use it. I'm going to give it to somebody. I'm generous like that. So <laughs> I think it's because, like, like, I am a little hard to shop for. I'll admit that because um, I'm hard to, one, if you know me at all, you know that I like surprises. Like, I'm not going to give you a list. I-, I want you to know me. It's really a test of your love. How well do you know me? Nobody is ever going to get me a gift after this because they don't want to be tested and they don't want me to re-gift it. But, um, I, in fact, I get paranoid sometimes uh, be- when people get me gifts because, like, they'll give me something and then they're like, open it. And I'm thinking, oh, man, if I don't like this, this is, um, is going to be really awkward. So how many, are you paranoid to like open gifts in front of people? It's like, I never know how to respond. Um, but if that's you, I actually, I've got a few pro tips for you because I've been doing this for a while now. Um, <laughs> faking gratitude. Uh, <laughs> let, me, let me tell you, this is, if somebody gets you something and it's like you don't like it, you can just practice one of these things, okay? They, they give it to you, you unwrap it, like, Whoa. Wait, wait, what, what, what is this? What is this? This is, this is too much. I don't deserve this. I do not. I, I, you, you really shouldn't have. Can I tell you? You shouldn't have. Just say one of those things. Some are like, what did he say when I got him that? See, you didn't even know. Um, it's just this is how it works. But I guess I'm thinking about that because I look at these wise men. They brought these gifts, and their gifts may have been extravagant, but let's be honest, these wise men were horrible gift givers. Horrible. Who gives gold to a baby? Nobody. That's why even the wisest man is no match for an average woman. Because a woman is not going to give a gift of gold to a baby. Well, yeah, they give gold to a baby. The other two, frankincense and myrrh, basically essential oils. When has that ever been a good gift? Never. So if you got me essential oils, it's going to somebody else. Uh, I'm just saying, uh, these guys were bad gift givers. But we don't really know much about the Magi, honestly. We don't, we don't, Wiseman, Magi, uh, we don't know too much about them. We don't know exactly where they came from. We know they came from the east, but where in the east, we're not exactly sure. We don't really even know how many Magi there were. We say three kings, three wise men. We don't know that there were three. There could have been two. There could have been ten. The reason we say three is because there were three gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, and more. We actually don't even know the quantity of these gifts that they gave. It doesn't say that. The only thing we know about these magi is that they gave these three gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's the famous part of the story. came from the east, 
they gave these gifts. But what really stood out to me this week as I was thinking about this message I want to give to you, it's not the gifts that they gave, but it's the investment that they made. Because it wasn't just three gifts. In this story, there's actually three investments that they made. And I want to use our time today to talk about these investments because in each investment is a lesson that we need to learn as we enter into so many different unexpected situations. You might not realize this, but there's a lot of parallels between what you're going to face this Christmas season and what the wise men faced. Because, I mean, we know, like, they read about the Messiah. They had studied prophecies. They had looked at charts. They understood some things. They had planned and they had prepared. They had an idea where they were going. They were following a star. But they had no idea what to expect when they arrived. Can anybody relate to that? Maybe you have some Christmas plans. Maybe you know where you're going to be spending Christmas Eve or how you're going to be gathering around the tree. But you don't know what to expect once you get there. You don't know who's going to show up to the Christmas party. You don't know what inappropriate thing is going to be said. You don't know what drama is waiting for you when you get all the family together. You don't know. But one thing we can take from the wise men is that even though they didn't know what to expect, we all have things that we can bring. We all have investments that we can make. The reason I'm using that word investment is because the definition of investment is simply this. It's an act of devoting time, effort, energy, or resource to a particular undertaking with the expectation of a worthwhile result. I see some of you taking notes, so I'll just say that again. Uh, Investment is simply this. It's an act of devoting time, effort, energy, or resource to a particular undertaking with the expectation of a worthwhile result. Man, wouldn't it be great if you could approach every situation that you step into this season with the expectation that it's going to be worthwhile, that with the energy that you bring, with the time that you spend, that it's going to be worthwhile. Well, that's the attitude that I want you to adopt with every situation you walk into this Christmas. And... As we read these verses, the first thing we see is that these magi, what they invested was their presence. They invested their presence. It says this in verse 11. It says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. They invested themselves. They brought themselves. They showed up. They invested They're present. They were present in the moment. Now, that might sound overly simplistic to you, but I need to give you a little context on this because even though we don't know exactly where the Magi came from, most scholars believe that this would have been somewhere around a three- to four-month journey. Let that sink in for a minute. Four-month journey. That is one way. I almost lose my salvation taking my kids to school in the morning, okay? That's only 10 minutes. Some of you think about your holiday plans. This was a four-month journey. And they thought, you know what? This is important enough. This is significant enough for us to be present, 
for us to be there, for us to show up. And in this season of gift giving and money spending and social media and digital communication taking the place of face-to-face communication, can I tell you this? This is the first thing I want you to write down, that your presence is priceless. Your presence is priceless. I read a study that said the average American family gets 37 minutes of quality time per day. Now, I'm not making light of the demands that are on your life, everything on your to-do list. There's, you know, just speaking for myself, there are plenty of times where I'm working late into the evening and I'm getting home just as my kids are going to bed. I've been there. But what I want you to see is that in the middle of all the pressures, in the middle of all the obligations, I want you to see that whether you're talking about family time, whether you're talking about date nights, playing games, going on vacations, to even more mundane things like doing homework together, sitting on the couch, talking and listening to your spouse, sitting down as a family, having dinner together. Can I tell you, there is no gift like your presence. Your presence is priceless. There's no gift like your presence. Now, when I say your presence is priceless, I'm not just saying that because of the Magi's example. Now, they thought it was worthwhile to show up traveling this long journey, but you think about it, we're studying, we're learning, we're talking about Jesus the Savior being born. God's gift to us was his presence. In fact, I think that might be the point that Matthew is trying to drive home in this passage because before he talks about the distance these wise men traveled coming from the east and he talks about how they thought it was important enough to show up and these gifts that they gave. Before he goes into all that detail in his narrative, this is Matthew chapter two, look it up for yourself, Matthew chapter one, he ends it by saying that all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, that a virgin would give birth to a child and his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. His presence. God's gift to us is his presence. And I'm trying to help you see that your presence is priceless. Now, your presence doesn't just matter when we're talking about your family. Your presence is priceless right here in God's house. Your presence matters. And I love digital communication. I love all the things we can do through technology. I'm not down on technology. I listen to sermons and watch sermons through my phone. I read the Bible on my phone. I put on worship music through my phone. We do meetings as a staff and team through virtual communication on our phone. We do all of that. I'm not down on technology. The last Sunday of the year, we have a digital service. We're doing church at home. It's awesome. I'm for it. But can I tell you, There's no substitute for being here. Your presence is priceless. It matters. I'm talking about the people who say, we're prioritizing getting to church on Sunday. As long as we're not out of town, you can find us in church. 
We are gonna be here. Oh, we've got something on Sunday? We're coming to the 9 a.m. service because we're not missing church. Your presence is priceless. It means we're saying no to some things that would take up our Sunday because we understand our presence is priceless. We gotta be here. There are some things that only happen in God's house. And you don't know what one moment, what one sermon, what one experience in worship can do in your life where you get your eyes off of your problems and you put your eyes on God. Your presence here matters. It matters. And if I can just level with you guys, be real, I'll tell you, there's lots of times people reach out to the church. They want to meet with the pastor. They've got an issue in their life. And that's awesome. We do that. We're called to do that. We're called to help people, meet with people. I'm not down on any of that. But if I can be completely transparent with you, 90% of the time, the answer that they need was in the sermon that they missed on Sunday. 90% of the time, the help they need was in the relationship that they didn't connect with in the lobby on Sunday. 90% of the time, what they need to do is get in that atmosphere of worship where the Holy Spirit can speak to them. They get their eyes off their problem, and they missed it on Sunday. There are some things that only happen here, and your presence is priceless. Your presence is priceless. In fact, I just want to celebrate the people that understand that. I want to celebrate the people that say, as long as we can be there, we're going to be there. Not just when it's convenient, but we're going to be there. The parents that are getting their kids ready in the morning, that's an effort, takes energy, but they're here. The team members that have worked a full week and say, I'm going to serve in God's house because I understand my presence is priceless. The families that are driving some 20, some 30, some 40 minutes just to get to church because they understand your presence is priceless. I want to celebrate you. Let's put our hands together for them. I'm glad you're here. You know, stats say that 89% of men don't want to go to church. I look in this room, I see a lot of wise men that are defying the odds, that are investing their presence, that are saying we're going to lead in our family. We're going to prioritize being in church. Your presence is priceless. Your presence matters. But it's not just the presence that they invested. They did that. But they also invested their worship. They invested their worship. It says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. So they traveled 900-some miles, and the first thing they wanted to do when they got there was to worship. Now, normally when we think of worship, we think of singing songs, of praise, and adoration, expressing gratitude, thankfulness, and that's good. Worship is definitely all of those things. In fact, we get our word worship from the idea that it's this idea of ascribing worth to. Worth-ship. Worship. But it might surprise you to know that when you look in the Bible at worship, the word worship in Scripture is never talking about praise, adoration, songs, 
music, gratitude. Some of you are looking at me like I'm speaking blasphemy. I'm telling you. <laughs> worship in the Bible isn't describing any of those. Now, those things are worship, yes, but that's not what that word means. When you look at the word worship in both the Hebrew and the Greek, which are the original languages of the Bible, that word worship literally means to bow down with your face to the ground. Worship is talking about a posture. It's a posture. Now, whenever we think of the Christmas story, we usually think of these wise men coming, these magi, three of them, and we see them bowing down, taking a knee to little baby Jesus, right? You guys have like a nativity at your house. You've got the Christmas card. You've seen that. We've all seen that. But it might surprise you to know that most scholars believe that Jesus was not a baby when the wise men arrived. They think he may have been up to two years old. It says the child when it's talking about him in this passage. If you know the story, Herod killed all the children two years and below. So they think that Jesus was about two years old. Now, when I heard this, this changed everything for me. Changed everything. Can I be real with you? How many of you, let's just play a game here. How many of you have a two-year-old? Anybody have a two-year-old right now? Okay, some of you have a two-year-old. Can we just pray for these people? Let's stretch forth our hand. Pray for them. I'll be available after service to pray for you. How many of you have had a two-year-old? Anybody had a two-year-old? How many of you have been around a two-year-old at some point in your life? Okay. See, let me be real. I used to judge you parents of two-year-olds so hard. So I would judge you so hard. I know the Bible says not to judge, but I would judge and ask for forgiveness later. Because I would look at you and your demon-possessed two-year-old <laughs> at the restaurant, and they're throwing their pizza on the ground, and they're causing a scene, and I would look at you, and I would think to myself, I am not going to be like you. I am not going to be one of those parents. But then something happened. Then I had my own two-year-old. And can I, let me tell you, like, we tried. We, we, we disciplined. We stood firm. We said no. We held our ground. We did that. But eventually something happens. They wear you down. And they wear you down. And they wear you down. And they wear you down till you become like every other one of those parents like you despised. And you say, fine, whatever you want, just shut up. What do you want, candy? You want money? A race car? I don't know what you want, but just, just shut up. <laughs> Jesus was two years old when the wise men came. And they bowed to one of those unruly two-year-olds. This is a miracle that I think rivals the virgin birth. I'm just going to tell you. Some of you are like, ah, I don't think that's a big deal. They bowed, so what? I'll, I'll bow right now. Not a big deal. Some of you don't even lift your hands in worship because you're so self-conscious of what somebody might think about you. Don't tell me that bowing's not a big deal. They bowed. This was a posture of submission. I was thinking about this. Like, bowing is so countercultural. Like, I can't ever think of any time when I've bowed. Closest thing I can think is taking a knee. And, like, if you're a guy, you've only done this twice in your life. 
right? I mean, you take a knee when you propose, and you kind of know what's on the other side of that. So, like, that's not a hard one, right? Like, you know you propose, you get married. The other time you take a knee, when you're a guy, football pictures, <laughs> right? You get your helmet, you get your football. Am I right? Yeah, you take a knee, you get your picture taken. Girls, I don't know if girls ever take a knee. I was trying to think, when would a closest thing girls do, I've seen in pictures like the, I don't even know, I don't even really know what that is. It's like, what is that? I don't know why they do that. I don't think girls ever take a knee. But these wise men, they bow for a two-year-old. There's something about posture. And see, what the wise men knew is what we need to understand. They understood this truth that your posture is powerful. Your posture is powerful. And this is where I'm not talking about your physical posture as much as I'm talking about a posture of your heart. When you bow with your face to the ground, when you take this posture, what you're saying is, God, I submit to you. Your face to the ground, it refocuses your attention on God. It realigns your priorities. It reminds you that you are God and I am not. You are above and I am below. You are powerful, you are big, you are holy, you are kind, you are good, and you bow with your face to the ground. It's a submission move. It's a, it's a power move. The, the reason I say it's a power move is because Scripture says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. In other words, in other words, there are some things God can only do in your life when you submit to him, when you bow to him. There are some things God can only do in your life when you will humble yourself. It's a power move. In fact, we're talking about Jesus. Isn't that what Jesus did? The infinite became an infant. Eternity wrapped himself in flesh, took on the form of a servant, humbled himself even to the point of death. And then scripture says, and that's why God gave him a name that is exalted above every name. Submission is a power move. Worship. When you take this posture, God, I'm not looking at all these other things. I'm not focused on that. I'm submitted to you. My attention is on you. My heart is for you. Have your way. That's what worship is. They invested their worship. I... Uh, one thing you should know, I wrestle my kids, try and get them to submit all the time. I've got these different moves I do. I do. One is, uh, one's called the stretcher. Stretch them out, and I tickle them until they say, Daddy is the greatest. That's, that's the submission move. That's how you tap out. <laughs> I got this other one. Um, it's called the anacondas, where I, I wrap my arms around them, and I squeeze them till their eyes begin to bulge. Sometimes I can't get out the words, daddy's the greatest, but I know in their heart that's what they mean, so I let them go. It's this other one called Mean Kitty. It's where I just rub my face all over their face, rub my whiskers. They love it. 
But uh, I can get all my kids to submit, you know. Pippa, she's easy. She's three. Uh, you know, Reese is 13. Can make it happen. Grant, no problem. He's the quickest. Oliver, though, that kid's got a rebellious spirit. We need to cast it out of him. <laughs> I will tickle him. Tell him, say, say, Daddy's the greatest. He won't. Say, Mommy's the greatest. Say, Daddy's the greatest. No, Mommy's the greatest. Say, Daddy, no, Mommy's the greatest. He will pee his pants before he submits. <laughs> Kid won't submit. Some of you, that's what you're doing to God. God's been reaching out to you. He's been trying to get a hold of you. He's been talking to you about one area in your life. God, don't touch that. Don't go there. I won't submit to that. But submission is a power move. Your posture is powerful when you say, God, have your way. God, you are Lord. You are God, I am not. My heart is for you. Have your way in me. When you do that, God can do things in your life that there's no other way he can do. I got to wrap this up, but these wise men, they invested their presence. They invested their worship. That wasn't the only thing they did. They personally came to worship, but they didn't come empty-handed. They came with something to offer. They invested their gifts. We see this in verse 11. It says that after they came, they bowed down and they worshiped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts. It's kind of interesting. They opened the treasures. I was thinking about this, maybe just because it's Christmas time, but I was trying to visualize myself in the Bible and like look at it in the story and in modern context, but they brought a gift and then they opened it. And this would be weird if you did this today. Like you go to grandma's, you bring a Christmas present. Hey, grandma, I brought this for you. And then you open it. My kids would lose their mind. Like half the fun for them is tearing off the wrapping paper. But these magi came, and they opened their treasure, and then they presented it to him. It would be crazy to do this today, to open your own gifts. But, you know, what might be fun around the tree is actually foolish in your life. A lot of us, we want to keep our gifts under wraps. We want to keep our gifts hidden. We want to keep it covered. But here's what the wise men show us is that your gift must be given. Your gift must be given. Understand this. God has put his treasure in you. He's put gifts in you. That treasure, it's yours to open. It is yours to discover. It is yours to unfold and unwrap. But it's not a gift until it's given. Sometimes we'll say to people, oh man, you're so gifted. No, it's not a gift unless it's given. And the greatest thing we can do is put our gifts into the plan of God. Scholars believe, because if you know the story, they had to flee after this when Herod issues a decree to kill all the babies. Some scholars believe that it was these gifts that Mary and Joseph and Jesus were able to live on while they were in Egypt. Greatest thing we can do is to put our gifts into God's plan. But it has to be given. 
when you think about it, the truth is the Christian life is a lot about regifting. Told you I'm an excellent regifter. There's three reasons I know you'd regift something. One is you're cheap. That's a bad reason. All right, it's not a good Christian reason. Uh, the other reason is maybe you don't like the item. Also, not a good Christian reason. But the third reason is because you already have it, and you want to share it with someone else. See. When you accept Christ, Jesus comes into your life. He gives you forgiveness. So now you can give that to someone else. He gives you joy. So now you can share it with someone else. Whatever gift God has put in you, whatever treasure is yours to open up and discover, God wants you to give it. He wants you to share it with others. Your gifts must be given. Thank you so much for joining us for this teaching at Velocity. For more great messages just like these, remember to subscribe. That way you won't miss anything. If today's message impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can do that by going to findvelocity.org give and partnering with us financially. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope this message inspired you, built your faith, and helped you see how God is moving in your life.